0: Planning a trip to one of the great national parks, L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit LLBean.com slash explore.
1: Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in depth recruiting, game matchup, and post game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod. We're here for our preview of the Villanova game. The Wildcats are coming to the Breslin on Friday night. They're 2 and 1 in this season with wins over LaSalle and Delaware State, uh, which sandwiched a loss to a Temple team, which is not actually that good. It's a tough year for them. They're transitioning away from Jay Wright, who left as coach and retired. Some would say it was somewhat due to the new rules and the transfer portal and everything, so hard to say if that's really what it was. But uh, eight-year assistant Kyle Neptune has taken over, and he's going to, he's been around for most of their success in the last few years. He's been on staff for the national titles and all the big East regular season crowns. So he knows how to get things done at Villanova. The question is, you know, can he do it? That's always a question for the person following a great coach. And at some point as Spartan fans, we'll have to face the same question when Tom Izzo finally hangs it up. Yeah. Villanova has been struck this season by a lot of, a lot of problems with injuries to to start the season. And that's uh, senior guard. Justin Moore has towards Achilles. No idea when he comes back. We've seen that uh, before in a program. And you can imagine that's a tough one to recover from. And also uh, freshman, uh, Cam Whitmore had thumb surgery in early October. And so he's out and uh, with an indefinite return as well.
0: Yeah. I- Izzo talked about that today and he, he sounded a little more uncertain in regard to Whitmore. Uh, I haven't seen anything that suggests he's due back soon. So we'll see. But I, at this point he hasn't played in their first three games and i haven't seen anything suggesting that he's close so i don't know if that's paranoia or uh, or what it is but it's a big <laughs> blow you know uh, you're and definitely not what kyle neptune needed you're coming in taking over for a program that over the last eight years or so has been as successful as anybody they've won multiple national championships in seven of the eight years he's been on staff, they've won a Big East regular season title, and they also won four Big East tournaments during that time. So that's that's a high high bar, and you're already coming in replacing a legend. As you said, it's going to be exactly like what the deal was with, um, what will be rather with uh, Michigan State. Michigan State when whenever Tom Izzo is done. Um, very tough situation anyway. And then I don't even think it's arguable that these are their two, certainly their two best talents, uh, are not able to, are not able to play. That's, that's a hell of a thing. Um, so <laughs> it, it's been rough, you know, you mentioned the loss to temple, but let's also understand their most recent game. They played Delaware state and they, I think they ended up winning by 10, but they were down. Fairly late in that game. Uh, they really struggled to put that game away. So it has not been a pretty start for Villanova. And again, they really haven't played anybody yet. I mean, Temple's an A-10 team. They're not what you know, people my age think of when you think of Temple, the John Chaney era, where they were really, really good. Um, they're a long way removed from that. So, and, they, and their other win was LaSalle, which again, A-10 team, you know, not a, not a big deal. So this is by far, by far, Villanova's stiffest test thus far. Coming into East Lansing, true road game at the Breslin, facing a Michigan State team that, you know, as we, we've talked about, should feel absolutely nothing but, but pure confidence in terms of what they can be. Uh, that said, Villanova certainly has enough to take Michigan state out if Michigan state does not play the way that we have seen them play thus far, particularly the last two games in terms of their effort, their toughness, those things you know, Izzo said it, I watched his uh, post-practice interview today and he put it, I think very similarly to the way you and I have talked about it, except with an even starker uh, characterization. He said, you know, we have zero margin for error so if we don't come to play with that same kind of energy and toughness you know forget about it and i think and i certainly against good opponents like this one is and i think that's true and and we've said much the same thing that what's been so encouraging is the way that michigan state has competed in these two games and if they continue to do that i see no reason why they should put any limitations on what they can be But if they were to not do that, well, then we're talking about a different ball game. MSU, as we know, I think we know, is not good enough to just roll the balls out and say, we're going to let our talent speak for itself. Um, It's not that kind of team. So finding ways to continue to play with that kind of effort, enthusiasm, toughness, all of those buzzwords, but that actually do mean something here, that's going to be the key.
1: And, you know, I guess we can just go through the lineup. Michigan State finally is going to return back to the Breslin after a couple of days off. And then they're going to be gone for, I guess, uh, for the holiday tournament. And then they're going to go to travel to Notre Dame. So it's going to be a, essentially, I guess, three neutral court three neutral court games and yeah. a road game right before they come back to the Breslin. So it's going to be a yeah. while. And uh, isn't it, and then is it the next game? Or are they going to be the Big Ten games? Is that coming? Yeah, I'm sort of losing track here. In December,
0: yeah. it's I believe I heard Izzo say today, it was going to be about a month after this Villanova game, which is so unusual. I mean, if you think about even Michigan state with the schedule, they play this time of year, you know, you get past Thanksgiving and the holiday tournament and, you know, maybe you've got one more road game after that in non-conference, you know, you, you might have a year where your ace like this one, where your big 10 ACC challenge opponent is a road game. Other than that, it's typically, you know, camping out at Breslin for several weeks, Yeah, you know, right. and not the case this year. So enjoy it, fans, because this is this is the last time you're going to get an opportunity to see this team play in person, at least at Breslin uh, for a while.
1: Yeah, and I was actually thinking that I was going to be able to go without a lot of snow and it, although it may not be December, it's starting to feel like December outside. I don't know what it's like in your side yeah. of the state, but oh, it, is. it is. we got a decent amount of snow temperature down here. Wise, <laughs>
0: we don't have a lot of snow on the ground, but yeah.
1: It was really pretty. And I was just commenting to someone that this is a time in Michigan where you're like, oh, it's so beautiful, <laughs> the snow, because it's still warm enough to right. ground because it, it basically, you don't need to plow because it, the snow immediately melts. It's just on the trees hanging there. beautifully. And then about a month, it's not like that anymore.
0: usually lasts till... You know, you can maybe justify it until New Year's Eve, and then after that. But unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> that usually means we've still got <laughs> at least another, you know, ten weeks if we're lucky.
1: Yeah, we'll have to, well at least have a good basketball to watch. And I always tell people who are moving here, I'm like, you have to find something to do in the winter to in, to a, a look forward to. Otherwise, you will go insane in Michigan with the uh, cloudiness. All right, but let's get on to the stars for Villanova. First up is Caleb Daniels, 6'4", 210 hundred ten pound senior. He's a power guard. He in many ways he's kind of built like uh, A.J. Hogarth. He's averaging sixteen point seven points a game on 47, 58, and 93 shooting. And also six rebounds a game, leading the team in assists with seven.
0: This is a good indication. You know, Villanova is not they're not a huge team in terms of their length. You know, they don't have they don't have the kind of length that say Kentucky did. But I heard say today, he thinks this is maybe the strongest, most physically tough team they have faced thus far, or maybe will face all year. And, and this guy is kind of an example of that. I mean, he's just put together. They don't have, uh, a real pure point guard. So kind of de facto, he's a guy who, who fills that role, but the, Villanova has been that way at other times too. You know, other, in the, during this recent run where they've been so good, um, other than the Jalen Brunson years, um, it's kind of been that way. And this is another season where it's by committee, but this is the best of the bunch, this guy. And, you know, you, you say you see with the numbers that you, uh, you laid out, this guy who could shoot, he can also use his size and strength. You know, Villanova under Jay Wright, and it doesn't look like it's changed much here under Kyle Neptune. Uh, They do a lot of inversion stuff. They will pretty much anybody on the floor will post you up. So Michigan State's really going to have to be cognizant of that.
1: Yeah, you imagine they're going to try and exploit Tyson Walker. Yeah, I uh, could see that. uh, Six feet tall. That that'd be the guy they're going to because they're all their guards are at least six four, six five. Uh, So next up would be uh, Chris Arcidiacono. He's a six four senior. His brother was a starter on the one of uh, Wright's national title teams earlier. He's averaging only two point three points a game on 25, 20, and sixty seven shooting with uh, four point seven rebounds a game. And you know this is one of those players that looks like he's not a normal starter, but because of the injury situation. Yeah, I think that I think
0: that's a fair assessment. You know, if they had Justin Moore, I don't know that he's starting uh, and or Cam Whitmore. Uh, but for right now, yeah, he's going to play heavy minutes. He's kind of a glue guy. Um, not the player his older brother was or so that, that guy was a key factor on nova's first national championship team um but uh but yeah that, as i say not a, not a guy who's producing a lot in the way of uh counting stats but um, he's a veteran he's he hasn't played big roles in the past but he's played and so bringing that kind of... Um, level of experience, even if it's mostly just being in the program, it matters. You know, Jay Wright is one of the guys that get that gets credited with the line, you know, you want to get old and stay old. And I don't think yeah, this going right. over team, at least not as currently we're seeing it with two guys out. I don't think that they have the talent that some other recent teams have had. But it is similar in that sense that there's a lot of experience. They're not rolling out a uh, true freshmen in their starting lineup or even sophomores. It's a veteran group.
1: And then uh, speaking of sophomores, that's the only one <laughs> next starters. Jordan. Yeah. Right. The only but he's the a baby here. Sophomore. Jordan Legino. He
0: redshirted.
1: Okay. Right. All right. So he's a six, five redshirt for sophomore Logino uh, is averaging 10 points a game on 55, 33 and 63 shooting early in the season. Uh, last year, he just played uh, nine minutes a game. So, you know, he's, again, probably one of those spot starters until the rotation changes. Yeah, hard, hard to
0: know for sure. The difference here is that he's, he's actually a guy they're expecting will continue to play serious minutes, whether it's as a starter or, you know, maybe a sixth man. But they're figuring he's going to play a lot uh, even when they get everybody back. Um, but again, a bigger guard. You know, this is, this is definitely a group that from a physical perspective has enough to challenge Michigan state's guards. I think in other ways, they may be suspect, but in terms of their size, they definitely have enough.
1: Next up would be Brandon Slater, 6'8", 220 pound, fifth year senior. He's averaging 12 points a game and 5.7 rebounds a game, shooting 43, 17 and 100 in early going. His three point shooting is about as good as mine.
0: Yeah, the three-point shooting number is shaky, but otherwise Slater is a really good player. And this is a guy who has been a starter, um, is maybe kind of bumped up the totem pole, so to speak, in terms of how much they're asking of him and his role with this team as compared to last year. But again, a lot of experience. He started a bunch of games for a very good team. So that's, that's a nice element for Kyle Neptune to have, to be able to rely on as a guy who's done it a lot and been around and part of a lot of winning.
1: And finally, Eric Dixon, 6'9", 255-pound junior, leading uh, Villanova in scoring at 18.3 points a game on 51, 43, and 80 shooting. So, I mean, the one thing you notice is that just about everybody can shoot outside of Slater, and the at least in this potential starting lineup.
0: Um, And we'll talk about that as we, as we get into um, the keys a little bit, but there's a (laughs) Maddie Sissoko just has this murderer's (laughs) row of challenges. And this is yet another different one. You know, this is not the same kind of player as what he's seen with the nor is it uh, the same kind of challenge that he saw with drew Timmy. It's yet another kind of player, but Dixon's very good. You know, he's a good enough passer that they'll run offense through him at times. So we say he's a threat to, to uh, stretch the floor. Um, and then he's got, you know, legit big man size too. at six nine two fifty. 250 So he's got a body. He could throw around in the paint.
1: So then moving on to reserves. First one to be Mark Armstrong. He's a six, two freshman guard averaging five points a game on 46 and 38 shooting. He hasn't taken a few free throw attempts and he's playing about 15 minutes a game.
0: Yeah. And, um, and that's uh, he's the one guy in this plane rotation that I think has the look of anything along the lines of a of a true point guard. Um, and they're going to ask a lot of him, even being a true freshman. Something that you know doesn't typically get a lot of run in Jay Wright's Villanova, at least. But he's he's going to have to with this team. It's just the way it 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 shakes out, and I think that'll be true even when guys come back
1: next would be Brendan Hausen. He's a six, four freshman from Texas averaging three and a half points a game in 10 minutes a game on 75 and 50 shooting.
0: Yeah. And, and his ticket to minutes is exactly what you just highlighted. He can shoot. <laughs> and if he can stick shots, there probably is some sort of role for him.
1: Next would be Angelo Brizzi, 6'3", redshirt freshman, averaging 1.7 points a game on 33 and 25 shooting in about 14 minutes a game.
0: Yeah, and again, it's a certain kind of role. You know, um, thus far he hasn't shown uh, that he's much of a shooting threat, but um, given that he's been playing those minutes already, I don't think that's likely to change. They're going to continue to go to him because they need they need these these young guys to step forward And at least hold the fort down Uh, because otherwise they're going to be in a really, really tight rotation.
1: Right. And, you know, finally it's Trey Patterson, six, nine, sophomore playing nine minutes a game, not doing much uh, on the scoreboard outside of about averaging about a rebound a game.
0: Yeah. And and you'll notice that all these three, these other three guys you mentioned um, are all guards. Yeah. And so they don't have much in the way of size Uh, and depth and so it's it's important that patterson at least be able to give them a little bit of spot duty so they can um you know they can find ways to get dixon an occasional blow but yeah this is this is not a team that's got a lot going on in terms of their big man depth
1: you know villanova traditionally has been a you know guard centric program for a couple years is it do you think it's as important to have a Point guard in that sort of situation, or do you think you can kind of get away with more of committee ball since you've got probably a lot of decent ball handlers out, out of they've, the, floor they've at the same time? They've done it
0: both ways. You know, they've done it both ways. I mean, obviously, Jalen Brunson was a tremendous pure point guard for them. Um, you know, he was a scorer too, but he could do everything you want a point guard to do. Um, yet, you look at what they've done since he left and it's been a little more varied. I mean, Connor Gillespie last year, really the last two years was a very good player. I don't know that I believe he was a real point guard. I think they kind of shared it, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and they've been able to make that work again. I think that a big part of their success is that, and and I would draw parallels with uh, on a big 10 level with Wisconsin. Um, They're a, they're a better version of Wisconsin I think and, and what I mean by that is if you think about Wisconsin over the years probably what doesn't come to mind immediately are true point guards they've had some capable guys but even when they've had that uh, it hasn't typically been say the way that Michigan State relies ideally at least on a guy you know Wisconsin has not had any Mateen Cleves or Cassius Winston's. I mean, not since Devin Harris, which is a lifetime ago. Um, they've had a lot of teams where, yeah, they've got a main guy, but they run the ball through a lot of other guys too. And that works, you know, if you if you have a team that's well drilled enough that's not going to make mistakes, and Villanova typically is, I think you can get away with it.
1: Looking at their starting lineup and even their bench they do not have a lot of size. They have three people who are six eight or above, and um, you you would look at this and think they're they're going to struggle against teams with size. And now, Michigan State's not a really particularly big team, but you look at Sissoko and Hauser and Kohler, and I suppose you know Cooper. But even Malik Hall, they might struggle with that sort of size, right? To uh, you know, especially getting fouls Maybe. at any level.
0: It's a, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch. You know, defensively they've they've done some different things they have played a little zone um they've even played uh although they haven't done it yet this year in the past they've also done some uh some some pressure stuff and i think for the most part it's of the ilk that we've been seeing lately from opponents where it's not really designed to turn you over as much as it is just wear you down make you spend clock uh, yeah. to get the ball into the front court but um you know the problem is if Villanova if they do feel like they've got to play some zone to help in that regard, well that that's going to potentially expose them uh, on their defensive boards, right. and then that would be a problem. But yeah, it's de- it's definitely something to watch uh, as to how they deal with Michigan State's uh, Michigan State's big men.
1: Well, why don't we go over the five keys of the game? Number one is handling success. Michigan State played close almost beat Gonzaga pretty much had that game in hand until the very end and then of course the amazing double overtime win the other day against Kentucky so can you suddenly now when you've had that sort of success success not only maintain that intensity but can you you know i guess bring the, the same focus that you've had before
0: yeah and and look now we're 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 at that point and i i actually pleased to have seen this I you know I wrote this our our notes for our preview up and I used the phrase fat and sassy (laughs) and then I after that I watched Tom Izzo's post-practice press conference from today at the Breslin and sure enough he used that exact (laughs) phrase so it wasn't by accident that I had that in there uh you get the meaning um Michigan state came into this season without a lot of respect. Now forget, you know, the outside, even from its own fan base, there wasn't a lot of belief and already, I think they've done enough to where, I mean, you get these, one of the upsides to playing in the kind of games they've played in to start the season is you immediately get everybody's attention. Yes. And if you play well as they have that's going to be positive attention. And that's exactly where they're sitting now. So all of a sudden they've got people patting them on the back, they got people saying, "Hey, you know, maybe this maybe this is a final four level team and maybe this team can win the Big 10, you know, and all of those sorts of things." And that's what you don't want as a coach, you know, you want your guys, especially a team like this that I think we we agree has to have play with an edge. They, they're they not, you know, I, I think about that team in 2018, of Miles Bridges, Jaron Jackson, Cassius Winston team. Mm-hmm. That team at times had enough talent, depending upon the opponent, that they could just go out there and, and beat teams because they were just better than an opponent. Yeah. That's not this Michigan State team. They've, yes, they've got talent. They may have more talent than I think most people were ready to credit them with having at the start of the season. I think that's entirely possible, uh, maybe even probable at this stage, but they're not good enough that they can do that. So it's critical that they keep that chip on their shoulder. The good news is Izzo said, They came back, you know, they got back whatever time they got back last night, you know, one in the morning, two in the morning, whatever it was, and had a film session and then what was supposed to be a quick practice. And he said it was great. He said they were locked in, they were focused. So, so far, so good. We'll see how they actually play. But, you know, that's something that I think is going to be you're continually going to be on watch for maybe not continue, maybe not the whole season, but at least for a while until we've got enough of a body of work that you can say, all right, it's just never going to be a problem. They're yeah. always going to bring it from an effort perspective.
1: Probably helps that they're playing Villanova as opposed to you know, some directional sure. state, right? It
0: should. It should. You, you have to hope that they're not paying attention to anybody who's talking about, of going over being uh, worse than anticipated and being short, you know, a couple of top guys, you know, you don't want that focus there. Um, but yeah, I think in general, you would, you would hope that a name program coming in would keep, keep them locked in where they need to be. So, um, yeah, but this is, this is critical learning how to handle success. That's a different challenge.
1: Yeah, and it's one that you've seen teams struggle with before, so it would not be surprising.
0: I could, I could make an argument. I don't think it was the whole deal by any means, but let's remember, last year, at almost this time, coming out of um, the battle for Atlantis, they had uh, beaten UConn, beaten Loyola, two likely NCAA tournament teams mm-hmm. and ended up being that way and played a really good first half before kind of wearing down in the championship game against Baylor. Yeah. So there was a lot of enthusiasm for where that Michigan state team, uh, might actually be, you know, and, uh, and they didn't handle that very well pretty much they peaked in early December until March I think in the tournament was their actual peak but you know that team had a little bit of success and I don't think I don't think dealt with it very well uh, for whatever reason this year's team already I think this is beyond what last year's team ever accomplished with with these two games um, so how do they handle
1: well, just like in life, you never want to peak in high school, and so peaking in November is sort of like uh, peaking then, right? So hopefully, they maintain this. Uh, number two key to the game is the guards. So obviously, Villanova's uh, has a uh, guard-centric team. They've got some guys who can post up, play differently than what Michigan State's probably used to as far guard play. But they've had probably had some trouble the season it looks like with uh, with their guards defensively. So yeah, you know, can we exploit them? And can we can we? hold them back at least from shooting and obviously they can play inside outside for their guards, both, you know, both ways.
0: They've been giving up a lot of points and I've read some accounts that uh, they're concerned about it, that every, every one of their three games they've given up, you know, 20 point plus performances to at least one opposing guard or at least the first two they did. Uh, And so that's something they're not used to doing. They're used to really, you know, taking away teams' best options, you know, d- during the right era, especially the, the late right era, the last eight years or so. Uh, so far, they're struggling. And it's not a good thing to be struggling in that area when you've got this Michigan State team as an opponent because we know these guards have a world of potential. And although they've done a lot of very good things, we also know... None of the three main guys have played their A game yet. We haven't had any of them individually or where I think we came away thinking, wow, that was, you know, that was a peak performance, the way, you know, maybe A.J. Hogard was on a handful of occasions, or Tyson Walker last year. Um, we haven't seen that game from any of those guys yet. So what happens when we do see it? Um this is an area I think Michigan State's got to win. If Villanova was at full strength in their backcourt, maybe it's different. But with their team as they're lining up right now, they've got you know solid players. Like, I, um, but, but this is a matchup Michigan State ought to win and ought to be able to exploit. You know, I, I would like to think they can do the job defensively against this group. And then offensively, I think it should be tough for Villanova to deal with what MSU throws at them in terms of its guards.
1: So the next key number three is Madi Sissoko. He's been I you know, I think we both expected him to be pretty good, and okay. And he's been far more than that uh, so far this season with his intensity, with the ability not only to defend, I think just I think the scoring has probably surprised me more than anything and uh, what it's contributing
0: I remember, I think when we were talking in the preseason um, about this and someone could correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to say I invoked a name from the MSU past, a guy named Barry Fordham, who was the center on the Scott Skiles led team in 86 that finished third in the big 10, went to the sweet 16 and really was robbed, should have been to the elite eight. And who knows what would have happened with that group with a clock problem in Kansas city, but, uh, Barry Fordham was far from a star, but he gave what was otherwise a very small team, a physical presence inside. He was a good, solid defensive player, not a dominant rebounder, but decent and just kind of held the fort down, gave them enough. It was never really a score other than their NCAA tournament game in the Sweet 16 against Kansas. He had he had a big year, or a big game, rather. Uh, it was the biggest game of his, of his life, as a matter of fact. I think he had <laughs> 16 in that game, but it came out of nowhere. I invoked that name because I thought, based on things I was hearing, okay, I've heard Mahdi has made a lot of strides defensively. His physical tools are starting to translate because he gets more of what he needs to understand conceptually. And I thought if he could do that, he could play without fouling. Well, he's going to be a decent rebounder just because of his physical tools. But what I didn't see coming was that he would be this kind of offensive weapon. And that's not to say that he's going to score 15 points a night from here on out. I still don't necessarily expect that, but boy, he's, he's proving to be, a weapon and proving to be playing very much within himself. He is, I can't think of anything he's done this year offensively where I thought, well, that's him just getting beyond what he's capable of doing. Right. Right. Yeah. Nothing. And if he continues to do that, he will be productive. So yeah, a revelation. I mean, if you're paying attention to college basketball, national media, Again, the advantage of playing these high-profile games early is you have everybody's attention, everybody watches them. And what people have seen in the last four or five days is Madi Sissoko show out against two of the best opposing big men in the nation. And so that's got people talking about him being the most improved player in the country, You know, the biggest <laughs> yeah. surprise, all of this talk, which may end up being true. We don't know. It's still way early. But in this game, I think what's interesting is it's yet another type of challenge. It's not the same as what he's seen in these two games previous. You know, game one, Drew Timmy, you're talking about a guy who is offensively uh, as, as good as anyone, just a variety of moves, great footwork, great touch, understands how to use his body to create space, understands how to use angles, motor that never quits that's what makes him extremely tough to deal with we saw last night with oscar just tremendous strength tremendous motor good athleticism to go with that and you're just talking about a kid who's a relentless competitor when he's on the floor um but different than timmy he doesn't have the post game that timmy has but yet He's better than Timmy as a defensive player and in terms of what he can do on the glass. Mm -hmm. uh, I would doubt Michigan State will will give up more rebounds than what they did last night against Oscar at 18. I don't think (laughs) I'm getting out on a limb. I sure hope (laughs) that's the peak. Um, This Dixon is yet another kind of challenge. He's a big guy physically at 6'9, 250 but his game is much more skill-based. He can legitimately stretch the floor by shooting the three. They will run offense through him at times and let him facilitate. So this one's going to be, I think, a mental challenge, a focus challenge for Madi to hang with this type of player. He's going to test you in different ways. And Villanova as a team will test you because unlike the first two opponents, Villanova is going to look to use clock. You know, they, they do not hurry. They play at their pace and their pace tends to be very, very slow. So that's what they're going to try to do. And you have to stay locked in. You know, it's just like we talk about all the time when MSU faces, Wisconsin, you've got to be prepared to play 30 seconds of defense, not 29, not 28, <laughs> 30. And so it's a different kind of challenge for Madi yet again, We'll see how he does.
1: I, I'm most impressed with the guy, with Madi. the fact that he's so smart for a guy who's barely played. Like, he does not seem to be confused in situations on the court. I mean, that's what's most impressive to me, because he's got no experience really playing. This
0: was something that got some discussion. Jim Camperoni talked about it at Spartan Mag, and then I heard him ask Izzo about it, and Izzo agreed with him at today's post-practice um, presser where there was a play where Wheeler was going baseline and Maty cut it off. And in cutting it off, it was, it was what was important in that is Maty seeing it and diagnosing what was happening and then getting to the spot to shut it down. You know, Jim compared it to an Antonio Smith kind of play, which is high praise yeah. because you're talking about, I think maybe maybe along with Xavier Tillman, one of the two smartest interior defenders the program's had in the Izzo era was Antonio Smith. And so if you start invoking his name when you're talking about Motti Sissoko, that is a huge statement. So I think there is something to that. Izzo's comment was that, and this is true of basketball. It's probably true of anything in life. The more comfortable you are, the more confident you're going to be and the more confident you are, the more you are going to feel free and, and ready to make plays. And that is true on defense as much as it is on offense. And I think that's what he was saying. Um, that's where he thinks Marty is starting to get to. He also said that he's, he's learning how much of a a factor film study can be that he's working hard in the film room and that's making a difference. So, um, yeah, I, I, look, I think he's ready to play a guy like Dixon where it's a different kind of challenge. I'm just noting this is yet just as Villanova is a very different team than Gonzaga or Kentucky was specifically for Marty. It's yet another kind of challenge.
1: Yeah, I think you make a good point too about the freedom of being comfortable with situations. You look at, I just have gone through my last kid going through driving lessons, and you know, you don't recognize how automatic lots of parts, the f- portions of driving are until you have until you see someone who's learning, where they have to learn how hard to press the pedals, and and at some point it becomes sort of just second nature, and then you can focus on all sorts of other things besides. To the mechanical things and it makes it much you know simpler and uh, you know, like anything in life once you get mastery of certain parts of it you can do other things and focus on them differently so i think it's think
0: like about I, the classic example i always go back to in in this regard is um, i remember arguing with people for the better part of three years who wanted to tell me that drew namick was not a big 10 level athlete that Izzo had made an evaluation (laughs) mistake. And the reason they thought that is when he played earlier in his career, he looked slow, but the the operative word there is looked not was he Mm -hmm. looked slow because he wasn't caught up yet on what he needed to do, where he needed to be, how he needed to play certain situations to diagnose what opponents were doing, all of that stuff. And so because of that, he was thinking too much. His reaction time was slow. And if your reaction time is slow, you look slow. Yeah. Conversely, when he was a senior, he got comfortable. That led to confidence. And all of a sudden, you could see why Michigan State recruited him. Because, in fact, he was a great athlete for the position. He could run the floor like nobody's business. Well, we're starting to see that showing with Marty, right? We all knew that he had these immense physical tools. But if you're not confident and you're not comfortable, they're not going to show through because you're thinking. You're not reacting. And, And now that he's much more on the reaction side of the ledger, it becomes a very different story and it looks very different and is much, much more effective. So I I think it's all true that he's mentally caught up and that's allowing his very, very strong physical traits to impact games.
1: So number four key to the game is transition. We've seen glimpses of it. It wasn't really too much present in the Northern Arizona game. We saw it definitely in the first half against Gonzaga. And for parts of the for parts of the game during Kentucky, it actually was decent until Kentucky used its strategies of like a three quarter court, uh, I don't know, press or pressure at least to kind of slow things down and, and force me State say to, to not uh, move down so quickly, but you know, I guess what can we see against Villanova? Can we catch them and get, really get things? Well,
0: that, that's, that's the question. Uh, you know, look, Villanova, has been an extremely well-coached team. I I would think, since Kyle Neptune has been a part of that staff, that the preparation level will continue. So you would think they would be ready for it. But it's interesting. You know, Kentucky, a program that sees Michigan State at least periodically, at a minimum once every three years, John Calipari knows very well what Michigan State wants to do. (laughs) Yeah. And, and he's a proven high-level defensive coach, gets his teams to buy in. This team isn't even a freshman-dominated group as his often are, so he's got experienced guys. And yet MSU went through a run there late in the first half where they were able to get Kentucky caught napping at least a couple of times on those counter blitz you know, off a main yeah. field goal and, and get points right back. And that's against Kentucky. So if Michigan state could get that done against Kentucky, it makes me think perhaps there may be some opportunities against Villanova. And and the reality is Villanova is going to want to control tempo. And normally a team that wants to slow it down is going to be successful in doing that. So easy baskets, baskets where you're not going against a set half court defense are at a premium. And so the more of those you could get, the better. So we'll see what MSU is able to get done. And I also think, again, the lack of familiarity Villanova as a program has with MSU, there may be a few more opportunities than there would normally be, just because I think it's tough to simulate what Michigan State does.
1: Right. Right. Well, number five is uh, not surprisingly turnovers, but we didn't have defensive rebounding. So that is, you were, to your credit, you said you would take it off the list if they show they could do it.
0: <laughs> I'll tell you why. Um, I, not only Michigan State's performance for much of this season so far, but the entire game against Kentucky, really. Right. Mm-hmm. But Villanova does not have a look of a very good rebounding team right now. Yeah, now, right. I could have added it as, well, they need to have an advantage here and and win the rebounding battle, you know, meaning Michigan State wins it, uh, and that that probably is is a legitimate point. But uh, I, I just thought turnovers were the bigger deal,
1: right? And and I would think, and with turnovers, it's not just Michigan State turning the ball over, but it's can you get Villanova to turn it over? Maybe, maybe they help the transition game a little bit. They're not a team that turns it over a whole lot, but we've seen a bit different. I mean, this Michigan State team is different than we've seen in the past when we're actually forcing forcing turnovers out of the, with our guards, which again, is not something that we, that's usually a, you know, a staple of our defense.
0: You're right. And, and they do it in ways that don't compromise the integrity of the half court defense, meaning they're not gambling. They're not trapping. They're just, it's largely coming via quick hands, you know? Mm -hmm. And so let's, let's call it safe defensive (laughs) situations where you're not exposing yourself to getting punished if you don't get the turnover generated. Um, All true. However, I'm going to look at what Villanova's done so far this year and the historical uh, profile of this program in the recent era and assume that they're not going to make a lot of mistakes. Um, And again, I go back to tempo. Pretty safe to assume that this is going to be a low possession game, meaning Villanova is going to run a lot of clock when they have the ball, it's what they've done under, right. It's what they're continuing to do this year. And I think it will prove hard to speed them up. So in that kind of game, any mistake you're making is the effect of it is magnified because you've got fewer possessions available to make up for the mistakes. And if you assume that Villanova isn't going to make a ton of their own, well, you probably can't afford to have a really big negative differential with them. You know, Uh, it is interesting. You mention it though. Um, Kentucky has had more variance in terms of turnovers over the years, but Gonzaga is a program that doesn't do that very much. They don't make a lot of mistakes either. And, uh, in both of these, these two games, they've just played. Yeah, MSU's been negative in the turnover department with high numbers, but barely negative. Yeah. The opponents have had their own problems, and that some of that is a result of the way Michigan State's guards in particular are defending, but it's also just, you know, it's kind of where it's been. <laughs> and he's <you're> really going <laughs> for a lot of teams, a lot of mistakes.
1: Yeah. Well, and, you know, it- turnovers are important I, you know the kind of turnovers obviously dead ball turnovers aren't as bad as turnovers that lead to layups the other end but also if your turnovers are kind of close you're probably okay and you know if we could turn over 15 times but they turn over 12 or 13 you think well that's no big deal it's where we have 18 turnovers and they have four that now you're talking about a massive difference in it's like giving up to you know eight offensive rebounds right I mean you're giving all those extra possessions and you shot just opportunities. look
0: I, I think Michigan state and and really we should always talk about turnovers in conjunction with rebounds because it it, they really add up to the same thing which is how many opportunities do you have to score versus your opponent you know and so we've said this before the reason that turnovers have not mattered as much over the years or or maybe to put it a better way why michigan state has been able to succeed the way they have even when they generally have high turnover numbers, is because they've made it up and then some on the boards. Mm-hmm. You know, the problem the last two years is we really haven't seen that dynamic at play. They had the usual turnovers; they didn't have the usual rebounding advantage. Um, I think in this game, Michigan State should have an edge on the glass, given what I've Villanova's lack of uh, height. Um, I know Izzo, you know, believes, and you can look at it when you look at their physical tools, that they're a strong team physically. But, you know, they've been out rebounded by eight on the offensive boards in their first three games. And none of those teams are, you know, <laughs> considered great rebounding teams with a ton of size or any of that. So it's an issue for Villanova. So it could be that Michigan State has a turnover deficit but makes up for it on the glass. But I think you know, Izzo talked about it today at the post-practice the discussion with media, um, particularly with regard to AJ Hogarth. He he wants to get the the unnecessary mistakes, the silly mistakes, the forced mistakes out of the equation for him. And you know, I I'll, I'll give um, I'll give Spartan Mag uh, a nod, which I I frequently do here because they. They do, of of the media outlets, they do by far, I think, the best job of analysis on this stuff. And uh, Paul Conondyke was talking a lot about AJ specifically having issues in that game with selfishness. Mm -hmm. And it might not look that way to everybody. And people can look at the stats and say, well, he had nine assists. How can you say he played selfishly? But what he's referring to are Is this AJ Hogard, we know has outstanding court vision, so it's not credible for him to say in a play. Oh, sorry, man, I missed you. I didn't see you because he sees everything. We know that. (laughs) Yeah. There were several plays last night where he had a guy open, but decided to take it on trying to get to the rim and score himself instead. And no, it wasn't like he was th- I think people think selfishness has to be, um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll go old school on this, an Antoine Jobert brick fest where, <laughs> you know, you got a guard tossing up 25 shots from the floor. It doesn't have to be expressed that way. It can be much more subtle than that. But for those people who wondered why, and we've talked about it here before, Wondered why there was some tension in that relationship last year, even when at times many fans, many casual fans thought, oh, A.J. Hogarth is the key to this team. It's this kind of stuff we're talking about. He holds his point guards to a very high standard, but it's really mostly about are you playing as a team first guy Or are you even just for certain segments of a game? Are you falling prey to the, I got to get mine" Mm -hmm. syndrome. And I think Paul's right. He pointed it out. And I think there were individual moments in that game last night where you could say, that's what AJ was doing. And it got him in trouble because those moments didn't tend to work out for him last night. Sometimes they do, you know, he's strong enough. and and talented enough that sometimes he'll go on those bull runs to the rim and he gets rewarded for it. Doesn't mean it's always the right play from a team perspective. And he's, you know, they felt like they had made real progress late in the season with him on that. It's one of the reasons why he was back when, you know, some observers thought he was probably going to leave. It seemed that they'd reached an understanding, but last night there was a little bit, more of that than you want to see. And so they want to excise that from his game. And if they do, you're going to see those turnover numbers go
1: down. I was going to say, you're that's where most those... of his turnovers happen. When he's like yeah. going, getting it, it's barely it's like bad passes. I mean, a Kate maybe like won a game, but mostly it's just him dribbling into trouble.
0: It's him dribbling himself into trouble usually yeah. because he's trying to probe too deeply and he gets caught he gets stuck um and and look that just if you're going to try and be a really really good team which we've already seen enough to say that I'll repeat what I said the post game from Kentucky last night I don't see any reason based on this or the early feedback that this team should believe that they have limitations as to what they can do They should, they've done enough that right now they should believe, hey, we shouldn't be afraid of anybody. We can go out and if we play our game, we play with toughness, we play with effort, et cetera, we can compete with anybody. There's ample evidence for that right now. Maybe that changes down the line, but right now that's what you should believe if you're Michigan State. But if you're going to make good on that, part of it is that guys need to be playing Fully at all times within the team concept. And if they do that, I think it's going to, it's going to serve to minimize some of these mistakes. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Look, AJ Hogard getting to the rim is a key for Michigan state success. I'm not saying, Oh, he's got to cut that out far from it, but he's got to pick his spots. Yeah. He's got to, he's got to be aware as we know he is of what his teammates can do, where they are. And if somebody else has a better shot, that's the mark of a point guard, right? It's a guy who sees everything and makes everybody else around him better. And the way you do that is by finding ways to put your teammates in better spots than they would be otherwise.
1: Yep, and I think the you saw the difference, AJ, with the Kentucky game versus the Gonzaga game where Gonzaga, he was definitely probing more and and trying to get mismatches or at least pull defenders towards him so that he could kick out to people shooting or with better advantage where they were. And you didn't see that as much in the Kentucky game. And that's certainly one of the differences.
0: I mean, it's it's crazy in a way to say the kid had nine assists and you're yeah, saying I know, he's right? selfish. Yeah. But I, I'm not saying that it's the entirety of it. I'm just saying there were, there were enough moments in my opinion, where he, he got out of the team concept and Michigan state can't afford that. You know, like, Ezo said today, the margin for error with this team is slim. They need to all be dialed in as much as possible to give themselves maximum opportunity to really do some big things this year. That, that's what's got to happen. And, and getting everybody to play fully 100% of the time within that team concept and not freelance, not try to play hero ball. That's a big part
1: of it. The one advantage that he's got this year is I feel like in general, he has, he's going to have better people to pass to for, to go get offense than he did last year. I think With Max and Gabe, it was not quite as reliable. And even Bingham to some extent, too, right now. And he's got a walker who's more uh, willing to put the shot up and stuff. And so I feel he shouldn't feel like he has to do more than he did last year.
0: That's the thing. Right. He should not feel as if it's on his shoulders. And if he doesn't go get a bucket, nobody can. He shouldn't feel that way.
1: Well, the game's coming up in a couple days. Uh, Michigan State's a five-point favorite uh, per Ken Palm. Which means they're since it's a home game they're probably a two point favorite or three point favorite I suppose uh, in a neutral court against Villanova. Uh, I'll be there at the Breslin Center watching it and hoping for good results. I think this is a this is a key again. This just as last game was important for Michigan State to maintain that same intensity going to uh, that they had on the Gonzaga game. Can they maintain it after a? you know, a thrilling win and one that's a big program win. You've got to come home and you've got to protect home court and you've got to beat a team that you should beat. And I think we both think that this is a team that's very beatable. Right now, they should, they should yeah. Get, yeah.
0: Given that Villanova is is not playing well at the moment and they're down a couple of guys, yes. At home, this is a game you should feel, if you're Michigan State, that you win. Um, it's all, It's big for a couple of other reasons. One, they're only still in the middle of this gauntlet. So you you want to continue that positive momentum that you've established and you want to carry that. You want to go to Portland for, you know, three games in four days feeling good about yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And the only way you're going to do that is if you play well in this game. So it's important from that perspective. But then here's the other one. Uh, Again, Michigan State right now, zero reason at the moment to think, that they can't compete at the top of the big 10, you know, there's some other good teams, but every we've talked about everybody in this league has flaws. And right now Michigan state's the only one that's really beaten anybody with a pulse. So they should, they should feel confident at the moment that, Hey, we can, we can dream big. It's not crazy. It's not beyond us, right? You should feel that way, but If you're going to accomplish those types of things, if you think about this setup, this is no different than, say, and I'm not looking at the Big Ted schedule, but just say theoretically. In February, you go to West Lafayette and you beat Purdue. Big road win, right? And then three days later, you come home and you're (laughs) facing, say, Illinois or Ohio State at the Breslin. Well, if you want to win a Big 10 championship or even stay in the hunt for it, you win that follow-up game. You don't do this in out in out right. sort of thing. Yeah. You yep. know? So it really does simulate the effect of what you're going to be dealing with come January. You know? And again, if you want to if you want to think about accomplishing those things, that's the kind of thing you got to do.
1: Yep. And that's what you hope with a senior senior laden. I mean, this is an old team, right? They they have a lot of players who are in their late 20s, right? (laughs) 22 or something.
0: (laughs) Exactly. That um, within a few weeks, I can't remember when exactly it happens. And Mahdi, I believe, is the guy, is the last one to turn 22. Everybody in their lineup will be 22 or older. Um, That is remarkable. And that is probably an under commented upon element of this Michigan state team. Now that doesn't mean they're all quite that, you know, Maddie's case. He's not that experienced as that number would suggest from a basketball point of view, but you know what the other guys are, Mm -hmm. I mean, Hauser and hall and Walker and Hogarth have all played a ton of basketball games. In their career so when you think about it from that perspective this should be the kind of team that can do some things in part because they are so experienced we pay i'm even including us in this i don't know if anybody if i felt really paid enough attention to that aspect of this michigan state team you know yeah that no i think they were going to have us off and, and, you know, look at that game last night uh, against Kentucky as an example. In late-game situations when everything was on the line, Michigan State was the poised, calm team that executed. Malik Call, a guy who's been much maligned over his career from, oh, he fades, he's in and out, you can't count on him, he's inconsistent. Back-to-back made huge plays the second one in particular just tremendous calm to make that pass fake to get himself enough room he knew exactly what he wanted to do and he went out and executed it you know um that's the advantage to having guys in that situation and and that could be a big deal you know we're we're going to find out in this game what I think is interesting is they're playing another team that has a somewhat similar profile, you know. So, Villanova. Yeah. One thing I, I will give that team is there aren't going to be too many things in that in this game that they haven't seen before in some way, shape, or form.
1: Sure. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: And I think that was true about Michigan State. I saw—I can't remember who it was that I was listening to. Some national media figure was talking about how they felt that Michigan State part of the reason for success last night was that they'd gone through it against Gonzaga.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: And maybe, maybe not, but the, the, there's no question that the, the execution was far better in, in the Kentucky game in those big moments, as opposed to, you know, the, the play made down the stretch to try to win the game against Gonzaga. Um, but I think it goes beyond that. I think it goes back to all of these guys or a lot of these guys having been in these situations countless times and eventually maybe at a certain point, you've just seen enough of it that you're no longer rattled. Yeah. Cause Michigan state in the clutch against Kentucky, that was as poised a performance in high pressure situations, high pressure moments, as I can recall in a while. I mean, they hit seemingly every free throw when it mattered. Um, executed offensively when they had to have it twice. Um, that's impressive stuff.
1: Yep, No question. We'll see where this team can go and, and certainly we'll start again with Friday night against Villanova. I'll be enjoying my ice cream sandwich at the Breslin Center and try to ignore the heckler behind me. Uh, I would encourage you, if you have not yet had a chance, please leave a written review and five-star rating for a show on your podcast player. It helps us a ton with the uh, but being noticed by other Spartan fans continue to recommend it to your friends. As I mentioned, I think with the last show, this show is now like a top 50 basketball sh- podcast in America. And that is, we owe all to you. And we're uh, really humbled by that listenership. And we hope we bring the, the content that you want. And I think this is, this is why I've been so excited to be part of the show too. Uh, so until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. <music>